you'd like to turn with me to 1 Kings, chapter 18. I know it says chapter 19 on the board there, we're going to read a little portion from chapter 18 first, and then just a little later we'll read into chapter 19. 1 Kings, chapter 18, this passage I'm sure is well known to all of you. This confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And I'm going to read. I'm going to read from verse 25, 1 Kings 18. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, "Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it." So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning and even till noon saying, O Baal hear us but there was no voice no one answered then they leaped about the altar which they had made and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said cry aloud for he is a god Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. <clears throat> then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seers of wheat of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he, and he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench 
that when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. If you'd like to now turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. read a little earlier about great victory on that camel. But here we see to have the opposite. Um, we see what happens after that event. And we see what happens to Elijah. Where he becomes very despondent. And we hear that God speaks to him in a still small voice. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. So I'm going to read 1 Kings chapter 19. And Ahab told Je- Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. That's the prophets of Baal. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, Say let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a bloom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, If it's enough, now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a bloom tree, suddenly an angel touched him, and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, And a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake. But 
that the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was that Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Assyria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of, of Abel Mahodah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelve. Twelve. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. A still, small voice. That's really the title of what I'm going to say this morning. And uh, I'm going to give you three points right at the start. <laughs> the first point, we can become despondent in the work of the Lord. Secondly, God does not leave us in our troubled state. And then thirdly, God makes us useful again. And those are the three things we'll be looking at this morning. And we've been thinking of encounters with God recently. And here's another one. But from the Old Testament, this time Elijah had an encounter with God. And when we think of Elijah, we, we, I'm sure we think, first of all, of that great encounter at Mount Carmel. He was greatly outnumbered. 450 
prophets of Baal, he was just one. And we read earlier that they slaughtered two bulls as sacrifices. And Elijah challenged them. You call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And then we saw how the prophets of Baal, they cried out to Baal, they leaped about. He says they cried out. They, they cut themselves, as was their custom. Nothing happened. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah cries out to God, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up all the water that was in the trench. All that water, all, that, all those water pots of water that were slain in the sacrifice, It was all burned up. And here we have a great victory, don't we? What a one-sided victory it was. A great, a great display of God's power before the people. And we're told there, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And I'm sure as Elijah watched what was going on, he must have been hugely encouraged. Yes, my prayers have been answered. This surely will cause the people to repent. The Lord has vindicated and the people will return to the Lord. And if we could put ourselves in that situation, if we saw these outward, dramatic displays of God's power, I'm sure we would think the same. Baalism is proved to be false. And these prophets of Baal the real troublers of Israel, they were these false teachers, they were removed. The wickedness is gone. And that caused him to pray, there shall not be dew nor rain these days, except at my word. And yet now, the rains return, and we read that a little later in chapter 18. He commands his servant to look out towards the sea. There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. <coughs> At Elijah's command, the rain had stopped, but now it would return. And it returned with him in a huge way, just as some of these um, floods that we've seen just recently on the news. We read there, the sky became black and the clouds and the wind and there was a heavy rain. God is vindicated. 
And Elijah looks back at what has happened to him. He's been wonderfully preserved by the by the Lord. Before all of these events, he was preserved at uh, the brook Cherith. There he was um, uh, fed by the ravens. And then he was fed by a widow in Zarephath. And he looks back and sees all sees how God has worked in his life. He sees displays of God's power again and again and again. And sure and he thinks to himself, surely now the people will turn to God. But they don't. They don't. And that's what we find in chapter 19. In these moments after this great victory, events quickly turn for the worse. Even as that sacrifice is still smouldering on Mount Mount Carmel, what happens? Ahab and Jezebel have a plan. At the beginning of chapter 19, they say, it says there, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them that were executed, those prophets of Baal that were put to the sword, if you'll be one of them, by tomorrow, about this time. And instead of repenting, they, they double down. They go the opposite direction. They don't repent. But they increase in their opposition. They want Elijah dead. Jezebel continues to swear by her gods, which were very noticeable by their absence. How can this be? Well, this is often how evil works. We're told the truth, but we don't want to have anything to do with it. We seem to go more evil in our lives. Men and women refuse to accept the truth. Well, it's not such a mystery if we know the condition of man. We know the state of the human heart. It does not want to submit to the truth. It does not want to submit and follow God. Elijah is expecting to show the people how they can return to God. But instead he has to run. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. Beersheba is way down in the south of the land. Away, really, from everywhere else. He had to flee there 
You say a prayer that even leaves a servant behind. The servant might tell somebody where he's going. And really, it wasn't very clever that Jezebel told them what they were going to do. He had warning. That's often the way, isn't it? Evil often overcomes evil. We see it again in history. Dictators throughout history become so puffed up with pride that it exposes a vital weakness. The cross itself is a supreme example of that, isn't it? The wickedness of man poured out on the Son of God. But that was also wicked man's greatest weakness. God used it for good. The Lord of glory crucified by wicked men. By that very act, all the prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled and the, and the devil's head is crushed. So Elijah runs away. And his whole state of mind changes. It spirals into despondency and dejection. And this certainly wasn't what he was expecting. All his labours have been a waste of time, he's, he's thinking. His great turning to God did not happen. Yesterday, they fell on their faces. Yesterday, they said, the Lord, he is God. When they saw that sacrifice burned up and consumed. Today, they want to kill him. What must God do? What must Elijah do? Well, he'd come to an end of himself. He's all alone. He, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down and sat under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Here we have someone who is despondent. And we can, we can become despondent in the work of God. That's point one that I want to look at. Have you ever had such thoughts? I'm done. I can't take it anymore. Perhaps we work in a place where there's so much unbelief and we just think, oh, I can't, I can't be bothered to say anything anymore. Just let them go on with what they're doing. Give up. Elijah thought evil can't be defeated. Do we despair for the situation in this country? Have we got to the point where we think, enough, done with it. Maybe we're not quite at that point yet. But we might find ourselves 
in that state in the years to come. If the situation in the country gets worse, and maybe that will be the case. But when that happens, we must remember this passage. It's such an encouragement to us. Elijah had a very important lesson to learn. And we need to learn that lesson also. And we can learn that lesson this morning. Isn't that wonderful? This man was once bold. He took on a whole nation. Now he's weak. He doesn't want to live another day. And we see others in the Old Testament like this. Think of Moses. Didn't he pray? If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. You think of Jonah too. He says, Bear my cargo, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. So this is this is something that happens to the saints of God. And if it can happen to them, if it can happen to Elijah, it can happen to you. And so when, if you're in that situation or maybe in the future, think about this passage. Elijah was under great emotional strain. And that affects him physically too. And it's often the case that our trials spiritually affect us bodily as well. Uh, Spurgeon he battled a downgrade in the, in the 1800s when many were denying basic fundamental things of the faith. And he was battling that. And it, it affected his health. And as I prepared for this, for this morning, I, I listened to Stuart Elliott and he says a lot of good things about this passage. He says he said that yes, we are very much uh, well, we're body and spirit, and one affects the other. He also said that Elijah's self-esteem here has been shattered. Maybe he thought under his ministry there would be a great return to God, and maybe he even blames himself. I don't think any pastor who comes here to Chelmsley would. Uh, and I hope we call a pastor soon. I'm sure they don't come here thinking, well, I'm going to preach for many years and there won't be any fruit from my labours. They don't come here thinking that, do they? Well, that was the situation Elijah was in. He even appears to blame God if you look at verse 10. I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. I've done all these things. What about you, Lord? I'm the only one left. Well, things change for Elijah. And here's the lesson that we need to learn. There is hope. 
that God's grace does not leave this troubled saint. That's the second point that we want to see here. Elijah has tried to isolate himself. But he's still in the presence of God. He's gone down to Beersheba, away from everywhere, and he's even gone into the wilderness. No place, even the wilderness, is away from God. And God doesn't grant him his request to die. In fact, we'll see the very opposite of that happens. He's going to make him useful again. He won't die. Not now. Or ever. We read in 2 Kings 2 verse 11. That Elijah was taken directly into heaven. Suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire. And separated the two of them. That is Elisha and Elijah. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. We often have our prayers, don't we? Well, here's a prayer that God said no. And it actually turned out to hurt for his blessing. He was taken up into heaven. And often we pray, don't we, for things that um, we really don't know how God will answer them. Often our prayers are mixed with um, maybe selfish things. But God knows what's at the heart of those prayers. He hears them. And he does answer them. And often in ways that we don't expect. And often in, in ways that are... Uh, are glorious and, um, and we think after it's all oh, now I see now I see Elijah falls asleep in verse 5 and he's aware of an angel touching him and here begins the, the gradual care of God he deals with his physical needs and as I've said, said already, we're body and spirit. So we're connected. If we care for the body, that helps our spirit. And here we see the practical care of God. He has given food by an angel. Imagine that. An angel brings you food, nurses you back to health. cares for his people. He knows how to care for us. That's all in Matthew 7, verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He gave good things, good food, good solid food to Elijah. He falls asleep again. And again he is fed. And we're told that that food sustains him for 40 days and 40 nights. 
That's, that's wonderful food, isn't it? Bert cares for him still. Even in his current situation, even while, even while he's in this state of despair, God knows our condition. He knows all about us. He knows that we can be very quickly discouraged. He knows our fame. He remembers that we are dust. In Isaiah 42, verse 3, we're told, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Oh, the Lord deals with us so tenderly. Even when we're in states such as Elijah, he shows us his grace and his care. And Elijah goes into a cave in verse 9. He spends a night there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. There's a, a process that needs to be done. Elijah needs to be brought up again. He must have a meeting with God. And, with, and this very place where Elijah was, he was at the Mount of Horeb, which is, which is Mount Sinai. It's where the people were given the Ten Commandments. And he's here. This is the place where Moses met with God in the cleft of a rock. And the Lord starts with a question in verse 9. What are you doing here? God is very tender with Elijah. Why are you retreating? You don't see things correctly. But I will show you. The Lord does not rebuke him. A rebuke at this point would have shattered him. The Lord deals tenderly with him. Elijah complains here in verse 10. He complains that the people have rejected him. He, he is a man who cares about God's work. He is zealous for God's work. He loves God. He wants the people to turn to God. I'm sure that's the that's what we want here. We would love it if more would come in here, come into this place. We would love it if the name of God is revered and honoured and worshipped in Chelsea Wood. He's despondent. Someone who who has a love for God is really the only one who can be despondent. He's jealous for the Lord of hosts. And God tells Elijah to stand on the mountain. Come out of the cave. Verse 11 it says, And behold, the Lord passed by, just as he did with Moses. And a great and strong wind into the mountains and broke the rocks in 
pieces before the Lord. Elijah sees again the power of God. This dramatic display. Can you imagine these rocks being torn into two before, before him? But, it says, the Lord was not in the wind. As those rocks were being torn apart, Elijah had no sense of the presence of God. Then Elijah sees God's power again. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Elijah is there and he does not hear the voice of God. He's not speaking to him. And then after this, there's fire. And I'm sure we've all seen those scenes of the forest fires in uh, Hawaii and other places in, I think, Canada and, and Europe and I think it was um, one of those holiday places where people go in, in, uh, in, in Greece. These forest fires that they have a, have a they consume all the, 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 the trees and the houses and everything. Elijah sees the fire, but the Lord is not there. No sense of God there. These are the very things that people expect God to speak through. Doesn't God need to grab our attention with some, some fireworks, so to speak? Elijah has seen all of these things. The people of Israel saw it. Now how does the Lord show himself to Elijah? The wind, the earthquake and the fire, they cease. And now there is silence. All is hush and quiet. You could hear a pin drop, perhaps. Then he hears a still, small voice. Then he knew the presence of God. When there is nothing, God is there. Elijah assumed that because he didn't see great dramatic acts of God, that God was not at work. That's what he thought. He thought also mistakenly that when there, are, there were great dramatic acts of God, that that is the only way God can work. wanted to see great dramatic conversion of the people of people to God. And he learned the lesson that God works in all sorts of ways, often in mysterious ways. His wisdom is greater than our wisdom. His ways are way above ours. 
and it moves through all the, the, the scribes, Elijah's thinking. And in Elijah's mind, he had an equation. He thought, nothing dramatic equals nothing's happening. Then he heard the still, small voice of God. That changed his thinking. Here in this still, small voice, he learned that when everything dramatic was happening, the wind, the earthquake, the fire, God wasn't there. When all was calm and silent, then God was there. And this sense of God at that moment when he heard this still, small voice, it overcame him. We read that he wrapped his face in his mantle. Just as the angels, they, they cover their faces, don't they, in the presence of God. We see that in, in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah was, was brought up into the heavens to see what was there. Elijah was overcome by the still, small voice. And here he felt the presence of God. And never again did he equate a happening with the presence of God. This still, small voice had a greater impact on Elijah than all the powers and dramatic acts that he had seen. And if you're a Christian here this morning, I'm sure you can say the same. I'm sure you didn't see any, you didn't see the, the heavens opened and light shining down on you when you became a Christian. No, it was the still small voice of God's word as he convicted you of your sin. I remember, it's coming up to 30 years ago, I became a Christian here. I still remember those words that came, that came from Alec. And they, they pierced my heart as I sat sitting somewhere over there. That was a still small voice. I didn't see any miracle. Yeah, some, some of the charismatic people, they, they want to see things, don't they? They want to see people falling over. Things like that. But what converted me was his voice. His word pierce, pierces our soul in a dramatic act. And the people here saw what God did on Mount Carmel. But the very next day, they wanted his life. They, their hearts were not changed. They had not heard the still, small voice of God. Have you heard the still, small voice of God? Has he convicted you of your sin? Has he drawn you to himself through these wonderful words that we have here in the scriptures? 
as he's spoken to us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God, who is God. This is the lesson Elijah needed to learn. And this made all the difference for him as he steadily but surely brought out of his state of despondency. He was given a greater energy to carry on his ministry. And that's point three. He uses us. He uses Elijah again. And if we're in that, that state, he can use us. Judgment will come on the nation of Israel through Hazael and Jehu. And Elijah's work would continue. And he's told that he's not the only one. God tells him, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He wasn't alone. We are not alone. Sometimes we can feel like that here in Chelseawood, with all the people around here. We feel like we're very few. But God is working quietly in his way. Elisha will one day replace Elijah as, as prophet. And that work will, will continue. And all Elijah's complaints are answered by God. And in his complaint, he made up a pit well, he, he was blaming God really in, in a sense. Just like Job did. But God didn't give up on him. He did not turn away from him. Similarly, there are 7,000 others who have not bowed to bear. That's a, a big number. But there are, there's a greater number that still do not submit to God. Paul talks about this number. This is the elect of God. Those who have been chosen and brought to himself. He talks about this in Romans 11, where he, the Apostle Paul refers to this event here. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There is always a people of God. Always. They swim against the tide. They're largely, un largely unheard of. They're hidden away. Elijah didn't know about this, these 7,000 people. But they were there. How many follow God in Chelsea Wood that we don't know about? But they're there. More than we think. And Lord Jesus said, didn't he, 
for the road to life is narrow. But there are people on that narrow road. He said, enter by the narrow gate. The wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But God is building his church. Are we despondent? Oh, listen to the to listen to God, that still small voice. He speaks to us through his word. Do we read that word? Do we want to hear him speaking to us daily? The world wants big dramatic acts of God, doesn't it? It wants fireworks. But it doesn't change a man or woman's heart. Only that still small voice. Are you one of those who follow him and listen to that voice?